0: Will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been is and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can be still because God still is. Morning, Riverview. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. I also serve as the Westside Venue Director. If this is one of your first times worshiping with us here at Riverview, I would love to meet you. Uh, I'll be out in the lobby after our service. If you'd like to introduce yourself, it'd it'd be great to get to know you, hear more about you. Uh, A few weeks ago, we started a new series here at Riverview. uh, We're going through the Old Testament book of Daniel, and we're calling this series Still. And the theme, kind of the overarching theme sentence of this series is this, that our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can rest in him. We can be still because God still is. So if you've been with us in the three weeks that we've been um, in this series, you may have noticed that the book of Daniel, it reads like an action movie. (laughs) Or it reads like a a series that you would watch on on Netflix. There is just so much going on in every single chapter. In chapter 1, we were thrown into the narrative when four young Jewish guys, they were taken into captivity by this enemy nation of Babylon. They're, They're indoctrinated into this Babylonian culture. Uh, But God preserves them, and he blesses them um, as they remain faithful to him. In chapter 2, this king of Babylon has a crazy dream, and he asks for some of his people to interpret it for him. No one can, but then Daniel, one of the guys that he took captive, could. So Daniel then is is promoted, and he continues to thrive in Babylon. And then in chapter 3, where we were last week, the other three guys that were taken into captivity, they're thrown into a fiery furnace, After they refused to worship this statue that this enemy king had built of himself. And God miraculously protects them. He spares their lives. And and they're promoted within the Babylonian kingdom as well. But each chapter, it's just filled (laughs) with drama and intrigue and edge of your seat twists and turns. In chapter 4, where we are this morning, it's really no different. Alongside these four Jewish men who were taken into captivity, there's another person who's in, the, in Daniel that's really been at the center of the narrative, and it's, it's this king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one who ordered Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to, to be captured in the first place. It was his dream uh, that was interpreted by Daniel in chapter 2, and he was the one who threw Daniel's friends into the furnace after they didn't worship his statue. Nebuchadnezzar, he's really been the villain of the series so far. To the Jewish people that this book was written to, he would have been seen as the center of the trials. Everything that was happening it was because of him and evil decisions that he made toward the Jewish people. But in chapter 4, we're going to see something incredible happen. This enemy king's life is going to be transformed in a lasting way. By the power of God. You know, transformation stories are really powerful. You know, one of my favorite things that I get to do in my job as a pastor is I get to sit down uh, with many of you and I get to hear the story of how God drew you to Himself, how God's power has been displayed in your life as a follower of Jesus. These are stories of love, they're stories of forgiveness, of complete life change. And Daniel 4 is that story. It's a story of a person who went from spiritual death to spiritual life because of the power of God. And in this transformation story, we're going to see a few things really clearly. First, we're going to see the power of our testimony, the power of a person's faith story. We're also going to see the danger of human pride. But finally, we're going to see and rest in the blessing of God's sovereignty. So that's where we're going to be today. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to go through every verse. (laughs) There's 37 verses in Daniel 4. So we're camping out here. You're not going to be flipping around. This is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I'm pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are His miracles, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. Okay, so if you were here with us last week, uh, you kind of know what happened in chapter 3. These verses in chapter 4 are very odd, (laughs) they don't make a lot of sense in there because last week this is verses away from when Nebuchadnezzar was throwing innocent men into a furnace but now that same king is reflecting on the goodness of God Some commentators think that that he had Daniel compose this it's kind of an official declaration to his kingdom to Babylon right that that these and that he's praising God and what's interesting about these verses is they're kind of like those movies you watch where the director puts the end of the movie at the very beginning and you're just utterly confused. <laughs> you're like, I'm thrown into this. I have no idea what's going on, right? And that's actually kind of what happens. The rest of the movie then explains what you already saw. A lot of movies do this. Christopher Nolan does this in his movies a lot, like The Prestige. That's a great one. But the one movie that came to my mind was Forrest Gump. Yeah, one of my all-time favorites. Anyone remember the beginning of Forrest Gump? The, be- the feather flies down and Forrest is sitting on the bench, his dirty running shoes, he opens his briefcase, he's got the Bubba Gump hat and the ping pong paddle, the girl sits down, you want chocolate, right? This is the, the but it's the, that's the end of the movie. It's right before he gets on the bus to go see Jenny, but the rest of the movie is him just telling stories up to that point. That's kind of what these three verses are. This is Nebuchadnezzar after God has done something miraculous in his life. And do you, see what he, do you see his reflection? Do you see the things that he's saying? How great are the miracles of God? How mighty are his wonders? His kingdom's eternal. His dominion is from generation to generation. Let's keep going to see what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life to make him say that. Daniel chapter four, verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, a very similar thing happened. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream right? And so this day, he's just hanging out. He's flourishing. He has no reason to think anything negative would happen, right? It's just a perfect day. But he has another dream. And this is about 30 to 50 years after chapter 2. When we read the Bible chapter by chapter, we can think, oh, it's the next day. This is actually 30 to 50 years later. Some commentators and historians kind of vary on that date, but this dream, it frightens him. He wakes up alarmed. So he invites all the mediums, the, the magicians, the Chaldeans over to interpret the dream for him. But this time, he actually tells them. You remember chapter 2? They're like, wait, you want us to tell you what you dreamt about? They want him to read his mind. He's like, yeah, do it. But this time, he tells them. So I bet they're like, okay, we've got something to work with here. Uh, but this time, they can't interpret it. They hear the dream described by the king, and they're like, we got nothing. We have no idea what this means. So then the king talks to Daniel. Verse 8 says this, Finally, Daniel, named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him, he came before me. I told him the dream. Belteshazzar, head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation." In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. Okay, so this is the beginning. This is the dream Nebuchadnezzar had. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong. Its top reached the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree, chop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump with its roots in the ground, and with a band of iron and bronze around it, and the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky, and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed into from that of a human, and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is the ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest people over them. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me, but you can because you have the spirit of the holy gods. Okay, a lot of verses, (laughs) right? But that was the dream, okay? So King Nebuchadnezzar, he describes what he dreamed about to Daniel. As he's asleep in his bed, he has this dream of a massive tree, a tree in the center of the earth, the biggest tree you can imagine. I mean, picture that in your mind. This massive tree, it's filled with vibrant fruit. There's animals, there's birds, there's peace under this tree. It really kind of brings to mind the Garden of Eden, right, before sin entered it. It's this picture of life and this picture of goodness and flourishing. But then someone shows up in the dream, and and, and Nebuchadnezzar calls them a watcher or a holy one. This is an angel of God, and he says that the tree needs to be cut down. And that a ring of iron and bronze is to be put around the trunk. And then this angel makes a declaration about someone, we don't know who it is, that this person's mind is going to be changed. They're not going to think they're a human anymore. They're, they're going to act like an animal for seven years. And finally, the angel declares how God is the one who puts rulers into places of authority and positions of power. So this is the dream. So, and after he describes it, he's like, all right, Daniel, what does it mean? <laughs> And Daniel, he has this look on his face of shock and alarm. He can't hide it. Look at what it says in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. That ever happened to you when you're talking to someone? Your expression communicates how you're feeling. You don't even have to say anything, and sometimes you, you can't help it. Right, you're like, when you what you hear, it's bringing out an emotional response. You're like, I, I'm sorry, I just can't, can't, keep it in. That's what's happening to Daniel, because he knows what this dream is about, and he's about to tell it to King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what he says. Rest of verse 19 it says the king said, or and here's what it said the king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. He's like, all right, hey, give it to me straight. Right, that's what he says. Belteshazzar answered, my lord. May the dream apply to those who hate you. <laughs> and it's interpretation to your enemies. That's hedging his bets. That's what Daniel is doing right there. But here's, this is the interpretation. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under the wild animals lived, and in the branches the bird of the sky lived. That tree is you, your majesty. For you've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground with a band of iron and browns around it and the tender grass of the field. Let it be drenched with dew from the sky. Share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the most high that's been issued against my lord, the king you will be driven away from your people to live with the wild animals you will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants as far as the as for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Okay, so Daniel explains. He gives him the interpretation. King, this is what your dream means. You are that tree, and the life, and the goodness, and the flourishing under that tree in your dream, that's your life right now. Your kingdom is thriving. You are living your best life right now, but that angel that showed up He cuts down the tree, symbolizing that your kingdom is going to be taken away from you. Everything that you've built, everything that you've taken worship from people for is going to be gone. And you're going to be led into the wilderness. You're not even going to feel like you're a human. You're not even going to think like you're a human anymore for seven years. But Daniel explains a way out. He tells the king that there is a way that this dream would not come to fruition. Look at what he says. He says, all of it will come to pass until you acknowledge that the most high is the ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. All Nebuchadnezzar had to do was acknowledge that God was higher than he was. That he himself, he was not all supreme. He was not the all good, all knowing king of all. And that God actually was. That all the worship he was expecting from his people, he needed to repent of that. And he needed to say, I was wrong to do that. Only God should be worshipped. If he did that, he would retain the control of his kingdom that God had actually given him in the first place. So this is the end of Daniel's interpretation, and you would think that this would be the place where Daniel would stop talking, <laughs> right? He's done what the king asked. Remember, Daniel, what the king does to people who don't do what he says. He kills them. So, like, just sit. Let the king sit with what you just said. Daniel keeps talking. He does, it's not the interpretation anymore, but he's like, okay, hey, king, I'm going to give you some advice now. And look at what he says in verse 27. It's what we already heard says this, therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. Daniel says, therefore, hey, king, in light of everything that you've just heard, the interpretation of your dream, I really hope that you do this thing I'm telling you to right now. Repent of your sin. Look at your sin for what it is. Acknowledge it before God. Acknowledge your pride and your arrogance before the God who made you, and you will be accepted before him. And perhaps your prosperity will be extended. You know, throughout this entire book of Daniel, he has been (laughs) this picture of faithfulness, Daniel, that is. And the overall purpose of the book, this isn't a be like Daniel book, um, but we should emulate his faithfulness and his character. He clings to God all the time. And what he does here is something that we should take note of. Here's what he does. It's something that all, as followers of Jesus, we should do. It's this loving act of sharing the truth of God with other people, even when it's difficult. I mean, there's situations where it's easy and sometimes where it's really not easy. Maybe you're sharing the truth of God with someone who's grieving and you're, you're giving them comfort from the scripture and that verse maybe comes quick to you, but what about that person in your life who's wayward, who's far from God, who's maybe like King Nebuchadnezzar, who needs to acknowledge their sin and turn to Christ? That's a different situation, but we do the same thing with both of those people. We share the truth of God with them because it's the loving thing to do. When the scripture, God's very words are brought forward to bear in our lives and the lives of other people, that's a loving thing. We share the truth in love. How do you do with that? Do you make the most of opportunities to share the truth in love with fellow believers? Maybe even people that God has put in your life that you don't know where they're at spiritually. Daniel shares this advice with the king and we see what happens in the very next verse, verse 28. Says this, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Translation, he didn't take Daniel's advice. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great that I've built to be a royal residence by my vast power and my majestic glory? A year goes by. Nebuchadnezzar has a year of comfort, continued flourishing, and he's walking around on top of his palace. Don't miss what he does. He looks around and he yells. He doesn't say it in his heart, doesn't talk about it with his officials over dinner. He exclaims, is this not Babylon the great that I have built by my vast power for my majestic glory. In two verses, this king's pride is on full display. Do you see it? It's in the pronouns. I, me, my, this is all for me. Pride causes us to look at ourselves as the primary reason for the good things we have in our life certain blessings, provisions, career, material things, relationships, health, a prideful person, when they look at their life, they're led to self-worship, not to God worship. Because to them, they're the ones who have done it. Look what I did. Look at all this stuff. My blood, sweat, and tears, in that car, in that house, in that boat, in this little kingdom This is my power on display. This is for the glory of me. Pride is a great blinder that people experience today, that we experience. Pride causes people to disregard God in times of flourishing and then to blame him in times of need. And pride blinded Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, as he was regaining breath from his exclamation, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You'll feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until You acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. We've seen that verse three times in this chapter. At that moment, right then, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So the dream happens exactly like Daniel said it would. You know, there's been a lot of paintings and a lot of visual representations. This is a crazy thing that happens, right? I mean, and there's been visual representations and paintings of like, people that are like, what would this have been like, you know? And William Blake, he's from the 18th century. He's a poet and a painter. He has one that's kind of haunting and striking. So I thought, show it at church. Here it is. Um, but no, this is, this is a rendition of Nebuchadnezzar for seven years, This enemy king on top of the world, the most powerful and wealthy king in existence at that time, he is brought lower than he ever would have imagined. He lived like an animal in the wilderness. He ate grass for seven years. He is humbled before God because of his deliberate and continual rejection of him. His pride, his sin blinded him to the goodness of God. But at the end of seven years, something changes. Look at verse 34. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There's no one who can block his hand. Or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true. His ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk In pride. So Nebuchadnezzar gets it, finally, right? He repents. He turns to God in faith in the midst of his humiliation, seven years of insanity. I love what he says in verse 34 I, Nebuchadnezzar, I looked up at heaven and my sanity returned to me. What was he looking at when he heard that voice from heaven? What was Nebuchadnezzar looking at on top of his palace when he was exclaiming about his glory? He wasn't looking up. He was looking out at his kingdom. Everything he thought he had built, all the things that he required his people to worship him for. Instead of looking out and swelling with pride and arrogance, all he needed to do was to look up, to look up at heaven and give praise to God for his provision. And we see this happen seven years after of trial and hardship. He responds to God with worship, with this acknowledgement that God is the only one who is to be worshiped. It's very similar to what he said in the very first few verses, right? I love what he said at the end. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true, not mine. His ways are just. He, not me, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. It's exactly what God did with him. He humbled him and he restored him. Now this transformation story, like all transformation stories, it's, it's really powerful. Daniel chapter four is a reminder of, for me of the incredible power of God and his ability and his desire to draw people to himself and help them turn, help them believe. And this is the last verse about King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. We're not going to see him again. Daniel chapter 5, a new king has taken over. We're going to hear about that next week. How amazing is it that this great villain in Daniel in, in the lives of Daniel and his friends, of the Jewish people, he comes to faith in their God. I mentioned earlier uh, how in this transformation story we're going to see a few things. We're going to see the power of our testimony. We're going to see the danger of human pride and the blessing of God's sovereignty. We see all of them. First, we see the power of testimony. Daniel 4, it tells us the story of one person through the power of God, how they went from death to life. Because of God's power, personal faith stories and testimonies—they are such amazing ways that we can communicate truth of the goodness of God with other people. I mean, what this chapter reminds me of is how it is impossible for us to resist God and His grace if He draws us to Himself. His grace is irresistible. It was for Nebuchadnezzar. Can you tell your story? Have you reflected? on how God has drawn you to himself, how he's displayed his power in your life. When's the last time you told that story to somebody of how you became a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus? I would encourage you this week to do that. Maybe with someone that you're just getting to know, or maybe with that spouse you've been married to for 40 years who knows your story, <laughs> right? But take time to reflect on God's work in your life, because God's power has been demonstrated in your life if you follow him. The second thing we see in Daniel 4 is the danger of human pride. This was the great sin of Nebuchadnezzar, that his life and his focus, it was the praise and worship of himself rather than God. And there's a lot of Proverbs, right, that talk about pride. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about pride. There's one that is just perfect, I think, uh, for Nebuchadnezzar. It's Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says, pride Comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. The thing that led to Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation, the loss of his kingdom, it was pride. It was arrogance. He was given a way out all throughout. But before Nebuchadnezzar could ever turn to God, he needed to humble himself and acknowledge how in his heart, he was at the center. His life was about him. Instead of looking out at his kingdom and resting in his power and his glory, he needed to look up and acknowledge God's power and how God's glory were so much better than his own. And he does that. Through the power of God, he humbled himself. Daniel 4.37, he, God, is able to humble those who walk in pride. Pride's a sin that we all struggle with in in some way, right? This is the the sin of self-worship, right? We struggle with this. Where in your life do you stroll and look at what you have built with your vast power for your majestic glory? What is it? Where do you need to look up instead of looking out? We're told in Scripture that it's the humble that receive God's grace instead of the proud. This is James chapter 4, verse 6. This is what it says explicitly. It says, God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. As we humble ourselves before God and we acknowledge him, he gives us his grace. Finally, Daniel, Daniel chapter 4 shows us the blessing of God's sovereignty You know, this isn't only the major theme of this chapter. It's the major theme of the entire book of Daniel. And the sovereignty of God, it's a beautiful doctrine that we believe and we trust in as followers of Jesus. And it's this, that all things that happen in the world are under God's rule and under God's control. That everything we go through, positive and negative, God is more intimately aware of than we ever will be. And in Daniel 4, we see this three different times where it's written to us. We see it in verse 17. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is the ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants, and he sets the lowliest people over them. Three times we read that. This is God's sovereignty. Remember the context of Daniel. Remember who Daniel was written to. Daniel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book, and the original audience were Jews, a group of people who had undergone intense persecution from enemy nations for centuries. What would this chapter have meant to those people? I bet they were a little excited about Nebuchadnezzar becoming a Christian, right? But but more than that, even, God is in control. God's plan cannot be thwarted. He's bigger than this enemy king who's persecuted us. Through all of their hardship, all of their persecution, this would have meant everything to those people. It would have been a great comfort to them, and it's a great comfort to us. Everything that happened in Nebuchadnezzar in his life was meant to display the sovereignty of God. God's control and his rule over what he has created. And I think this doctrine of God's sovereignty can often bring forth questions. And it brings forth questions of our will sometimes, doesn't it? If God is sovereign, why does what we decide matter? Does what we choose make any difference at all? Well, if you read Daniel 4, you see... It does matter. God made it clear to this king what decision that he should make in his free will. Stop being prideful, Nebuchadnezzar. Turn from your sin and turn to me. And Nebuchadnezzar chose to reject God willingly. And eventually, with God's help, through the power of God, he repented. And he chose to believe. But God, through the redemption of an evil king, displayed his power and his sovereignty over all of creation. God's sovereignty is displayed in the same way today. When people choose to follow Jesus by faith, it was God's good purpose and his plan that he would send a savior into the world to redeem humanity from the curse of sin. And that plan was not thwarted. Never could be. All the efforts that went into it that tried to stop it couldn't be stopped. Jesus lived the sinless life that was necessary. He died on a cross for the sins of humanity, and he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. God's sovereignty, it's an incredible blessing that we should rest in as Christians, that even when our lives are filled with trouble and hardship and, and trials, that does not mean that God is outside of that, that he's unaware, that he's uninterested, I mean, look at chapter three. Three guys went into that fire. How many were seen? Four of them. Because God was with them in the midst of the fire. Even though God does not keep us from all hardship we experience, He is always with us in it as we walk through it in His sovereignty. When do you doubt the sovereignty of God the most often? For me, it's easy it's when life seems out of my control. I like to be in control. When things are happening in my life beyond my comprehension or my ability to do anything about, those are the times I ask, is God really good? Man, if he were really sovereign, this should be different. I'm not comfortable. I don't know what's going on here. And I imagine that the Jewish people persecuted in Babylon experienced that way more than I ever will. In what areas of your life do you need to rest in the blessing of God's sovereignty? Maybe it's the salvation of your children, your physical health, your future career, whatever next steps God has for you. We worship a God who is good And he's perfectly sovereign. We can trust him. And as we continue through the book of Daniel, we're going to hear this over and over again because he displays his sovereignty in Daniel over and over again. And that's great news that our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength of our lives. We can rest in him, we can be still because God still is. Let's pray. God, as I, first, I just want to thank you for your word, Lord, that you have given us this, your words to us, that you've clearly spoken and displayed your power, your goodness, in something that we can read and understand and be encouraged and convicted and challenged by. God, thank you so much for your word and God, as we think about Daniel 4, the work you did in Nebuchadnezzar's life of bringing him low so that you could bring him high. God, you do that with us. We're often brought low in this life, Lord, by our sins, sometimes by you. God, I, help, I, I pray that you help us know that it's your desire for us that we would turn to you. That we would put away pride and arrogance and be humble. Acknowledge that, you know what, God, I do worship myself all the time. But thanks be to you that you sent us a savior that is more worthy of worship than any of ourselves. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was the picture of humility, that he could have demanded anything he wanted, but he came as a servant. He was not proud or arrogant, but he was humble and meek. And he came for us. God, we thank you that life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. In his name that we pray. Amen.